NamNab is a podcast that deals with the grisly details of a variety of topics, including true crime cases, government cover-ups, conspiracies, and the paranormal. This content is not suitable for everyone. Viewer discretion is advised. She was murdered. Summer dudes, welcome back. This is not a monster, not a boogeyman. I'm Naomi. I'm Janae. I'm Les. And today, I'm going to keep it going with our series here, giving you some more information on the little weird conspiracy theories of the 80s that we've (laughs) stumbled upon, apparently. (laughs) Um, Also, before we continue, I just want to let everyone know that we have a guest back today. Naye is hanging out with us. Um, (laughs) She'll be hanging out in the background, but also you might hear her. So So with that being said, we've made it to my part of this situation. Um, And the first thing I wanted to do was talk about satanic panic from the 80s and before, what it is, where it comes from, those kinds of things. Because I was curious. I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, I want to know how deep that goes. A hundred percent, because it's one of those details that, in our cases, we don't focus on. And I remember asking, like, what the fuck was that about? And, yeah, that is an important question answered. Yeah. Satanic panic. And it answers a lot of questions for a lot of (laughs) other cases. I was going to say, it's so involved in so many other cases that we talk about, and we always just kind of discuss it in passing, but I feel like it'd be good to finally figure out what exactly the fuck it is. What is it? And it's fucking weird, you guys. It's so weird. Tell me all about it, because I want to fucking know. (laughs) So, as we kind of get started, I don't think we have any crime news to talk about. Crime news? I mean, all the time, but nothing that rings a bell right now. Yeah, okay. After bringing you the whole Johnny Gosh case... And with us about to discuss the Franklin cover-up, at least publicly, we've been talking about it for months <laughs> behind this. Um, I also wanted to kind of bring you the other side of these things, because many people, and rightfully so, regard these things that we're discussing as conspiracies. And I want to talk to you a little bit about why, um, and how, and all of those things. And I also want to point out that we lean on the side of believing survivors. I just want to start there. That's always where we're going to lean. So that's a lot of where this comes from. And that is the angle we came from when discussing the Franklin cover-up as well. So when you hear those episodes, that's what you'll be hearing. Um, Part of one of the many allegations of satanic ritualistic abuse that were rampant throughout the 80s and 90s includes the Franklin cover-up. So I think it's important that we talk about this stuff. Um, And it's still going on now. These kinds of, like, conspiracy theories are floating around now. Today we're going to just be discussing satanic panic and specifically its roots around satanic ritualistic abuse, or SRA, as I will call it, for the rest of this because it's too much to say. And then, yeah, just that reminder, we're not right-wing in any sense of the word. Um, So if that's what you came here looking for, a right-wing perspective, an evangelical Christian conservative perspective, you're not going to get that here. Um, So I would encourage you to look for that elsewhere. You will not be welcomed kindly. So content warning for this episode, we are going to be discussing child abuse, ritualistic abuse, sexual assault, discussions of disassociative identity disorder, false memories, and more. And please know we will not be discussing sexual assault or violence against children in detail. 
Conspiracy theories are nothing new in the U.S., and the conspiracy around satanic ritualistic abuse began in the U.S. in the 60s. This abuse, also sometimes known as ADIS, ritualistic abuse or organized abuse, is defined as the physical or sexual abuse of individuals in the context of a cult ritual. Okay, so cult ritual equals... Satanism in this case. Okay, interesting. Direct link to Satanism in this case. So if someone is practicing this for their belief system, it is satanic SRA, basically. By this definition, yes. However, <clears throat> I would like to point out the Satanism talked about here is like not really understood, actually completely inaccurate. It's someone's bastardization of what Satanism is because they hear the word Satan and they're like, oh, you believe in the devil? And it's like, no, no. Do you read? So I would say this interpretation of what Satanism yeah. is very much puts us in a place of like, and you'll see the roots here of fundamentalist evangelical Christians. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. These types of conspiracies range from extreme to less extreme, but they all focus on the abuse of children by a group of people in power. Quote, in its most extreme form, allegations involve a conspiracy of a global satanic cult that involves the wealthy and powerful world elite in which children are abducted and, and or bred for human sacrifice, pornography, and prostitution. So how is this different than what people believe as the Illuminati? Are we going to get into that? It's not. Okay. That's the thing, is it's not. And when we talk about some of the origins of these things, you're going to be like, oh, this conspiracy theory. Oh, th they're all connected to this. Most of them are connected to this unless they actually fucking happened. Things like MK Ultra, right? It's interesting, and yeah. we'll get into it. It's a good question. Though. Okay. To understand these theories, we have to understand the origins of them and how those origins led to what is known as moral panic. Allegations against many groups that have been scapegoated over the course of history are nothing new. And trigger warning for anti-Semitism here. Like many conspiracy theories, SRA is rooted in the anti-Semitic idea of blood libel, an accusation that Jewish people do and have murdered Christian children and other non-Jewish children to use their blood during rituals. Of course, this isn't true. This isn't true. This is something that was started in the 13th century that people still believe. I'm hearing contradictions here. Like, what is what does Judaism have to do with Christianity in this case, and how is that cor correlated? They so they're saying they're Jewish. There's like a group of Jewish people who run the world who are sacrificing right. kids. which is similar to what we hear when we talk about the Illuminati, right? Yeah, similar. It's, it's very similar stuff. Yeah. And a lot of it, a lot of conspiracy theories in the U.S. are rooted in anti se I had no idea. Yeah, I mean, yeah. either. I had no I idea. didn't but a lot of them are very much rooted, especially in this idea of blood libel, which literally got Jews killed in the 13th century. But yeah, already you see contradictions, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's a bad theory. That's why. It's a fucking oh bad my theory. God. There's holes when you look just a little too closely. That. Exactly. So of course, like I said, this had no truth to it. Like, There's no truth to this blood libel idea. Um, another piece of history that we have to understand and discuss in order to understand this and these conspiracies is the European witch trials. Mm. Where okay. people, largely Jewish and Romani witches, mm -hmm. okay, I need to repeat that for the white witches. 
listening to this podcast. Jewish and Romani witches were killed for their beliefs. Not random white Wiccans, because Wicca didn't exist until the <laughs> 50s. And the reason for these executions, you may ask, right? Coerced confessions, usually coerced by torture and imprisonment. <laughs> Many who believe these conspiracies believe that these witches were satanic. Mm-hmm. despite no evidence of satanic cults existing anywhere Ever. in European history. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Because this is fake. <laughs> um, so way back then. Way back then. All of that, anti-Semitic as well. Okay, Anti-Semitic cool. as well. So now I'm going to bring us up to the 1950s. Okay, we're talking the U.S. now. We're here, modern-day America. Moral panic begins to heavily set in the U.S. around the 1950s. Would anyone like to just, like, take a stab at why? Moral panic starts to upset because of World War II afterwards. Keep going. Yes, and. And civil movements that came consecutively. One of the biggest things to come out of World War II is the Cold War. Oh, I see. Okay, yes, yes, yes. I always forget that. And the fear <laughs> of <laughs> communism, the Red ah, Scare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> we can see that McCarthyism, right? The accusation of anyone who didn't believe in your beliefism is, is they're a fucking communist. That's where we see those roots come from. Okay. <sighs> and we still see that today. I've been called mm-hmm. a communist many times. <laughs> by conservative people who don't know what the fuck that word means. Mm-hmm. This uh, McCarthyism and the Red Scare that swept over the U.S. would give way to this satanic panic beginning in the 70s with the development of the Satanic Bible by Anton LaVey. I want to point out what a piece of shit Anton LaVey was and how much of his work is actually plagiarized from other fucking people. The man's trash. How many times do we see that? 10 out of 10. All the time. All the time. And 1970 was when the Church of Satanism was developed. Remember that date, that year, for later. The release of The Exorcist in 1973 didn't help, and this only gave more credence to these theories. In the meantime, fundamentalist and evangelical Christian religious organizations were mixing their religion and politics developing organizations to fight for political activism that results in opinions that only benefit other white, straight, cisgender, rich, middle-class, fundamentalist Christians. They said it. (laughs) Some evangelicals were going far, like Mike Warnke, who wrote The Satan Seller in 1972. In this publication, Warnke claims to have been brought into Satanism as a child. He wrote this in 1972. Do you remember when the Church of Satanism was developed? 1970. How the fuck was this man (laughs) doing this as a child? Makes no sense. He's like, I was two years old yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) It discusses how he became a, quote, high priest in Satanism. That That doesn't make any sense. I'm confused. So much backtrack. So much backtrack. What? What the fuck? no explanation. This man just lied. <laughs> like, there's nothing else. He just lied. He's a Is he a politician? No. Oh, okay. He's just an evangelical. <sighs> so he writes a book about some bullshit memoirs. Makes it up. Does not exist. Does not exist. On my what ra- basis? My religion trauma is coming in hard completely right now. Completely debunked, too. Like, people completely debunked it, and he's like, no, 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 no. I saw the light. God 
showed me the light, and now oh, I'm not a Satanist. Oh, fuck no. I am getting riled up. <laughs> oh, it, it gets worse. It gets way worse than this. <laughs> okay, dude. <laughs> and he also discussed all the horrible things he participated in as a Satanist, including kidnappings, sexual assault, drug and alcohol use, and, of course, ritualistic abuse. And, of course, there's no evidence to back up any of these claims that this man made. Nothing. There's nothing to back up what he's saying. Were they confessions? Like, in his... That's the thing, right? If you did all these things, right. why are you walking free? Right. Because he's saying he's participating in these... these things. So what happened? Nothing? There's no evidence. So nothing. Interesting. Because it's not real. Yeah. Fascinating. This is fucking weird. I told you. I hate this. Deep, dude. But there's a million people out there just like, no, I believe this man. They Can you believe it? Literally, we're like, I believe what this man is saying. <laughs> really thought it to be true. Please do some research. I'm going to give this to y'all for a minute. But can you tell me a little bit about what's going on in the U.S. in the 70s? Just like across the country in general. We're talking. Or We got Bundy running around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of serial killers. The fucking serial good neighbor complex. Well, and like in all of these fucking cases, we hear about like Bundy. We always hear like, oh, he was part of a cult, or he's like Satanist, and we hear things like that. Do people really say that about him? Yeah. They really believe that. And like Charles Manson, Richard Ramirez, probably the biggest example yeah. in media of believing that he was a Satanist and a oh, cultist. True. And they're like, oh, Charles he did Manson. all these horrible things. Yeah. It's like, no, that's just a horrible person. It's not tied to anything. That's so funny. Yeah, Charles Manson literally played on this aspect of exactly. American population's fear. fear. Yeah. Because yeah. cults were the thing to fear. But they love watching him. Yes. Yeah. That's the thing, right? So, like, the serial killer stuff did not add, did not help in this yeah. situation, right? Because it's like everyone's like more it's a fucking on edge. Joke. It's not even that. It's everyone's more on edge. There's more more fear around that like my neighbor might not be a good person yeah. like you were talking about right but i feel like killers took that and they're like oh people are afraid of this like haha i'm a satanist on top of all of that because yes. they wanted to garnish more fear because the thing they find is fun is fear yes. that's it's why controlled. they are fucked up as they are it's control it's controlled through fear so yeah, that like the coverage, the media coverage of serial killers at the time, especially like you go back and look at some of this shit, like similar to what we were talking about earlier off air about the Gabby Petito thing. It's just in your face, fucking constantly. Here, look at this. Look at this guy fucking murdering people. That freaks people out. I just think that the media at that time really did play on that whole "I'm safe." Like that that doesn't happen here concept that happens over there and the media will demonize these people to make you think that there's something completely different about them when it's there's it's not true right it is right next door it's scary this whole thing very scary right so everyone's already freaked out extra tension about that and if you're a christian i guess you're freaked out about satan i don't know yeah, um, right, or that's the only reason someone would be capable of doing this, right? A human being would be capable of doing this is because he was possessed or the devil made him do it. Because you don't want to think that a human can do that. You want to think it's some outside force that's mm-hmm. forcing you to do these things. It's scary to think that a fucking person, your neighbor, is doing this to your child. Which, who is this guy that wrote this fucking memoir? Like, what is Nobody he? He's just one. a fucking evangelist? Yeah. 
That's it. And he's he a represents yeah. so many people's belief systems, and yeah, yet he does the exact same thing as Richard Ramirez. Weird. He, by his own admission, right? Quote unquote admission. So what makes this person any fucking different? Fucking pisses me off. <laughs> Have I mentioned I love this podcast? <laughs> Y'all are about to get really fucking angry. Like, even more angry. In addition to the many factors we've already discussed, let's have a talk about mental health and social work fields and what they looked like in the 50s and 60s. Fucking nothing. It's <laughs> like, what are you, what are you, what? You want to speak to that a little Completely bit? Completely unethical. So if we're looking at this, sanatoriums have just, That's what I want asylums and stuff have just shut down. And a lot of people are like, oh, yay, we're getting better with mental health care because we shut down asylums. Like, yes, we stopped the abuse of mentally ill people or people experiencing any sort of mental abnormality um, or whatever you deem as normal. And we've put them on the streets is what we've done. Um, Now they are not receiving any care. And we're saying we're going back to families. We are not. We're putting them on the streets. So that's why in places like Colorado and other places – you see very high populations, uh, or you see the amount of people experiencing homelessness go up immediately after sanatoriums are shut down. It's because now those people have nowhere to go. Before we could put them in a place, and which was like horribly garbage. abusive, yes. and they would kill them in these places, but now you know they're on the streets, and now they're our problem. Those so concepts that were keeping them there, the people who felt that way about them, those still remained. Yeah. That doesn't go away. And it was Eisenhower before... JFK. Yeah. yeah. So, like, this is very rampant, and we want to demonize those things because it's like now it's in our face, and now we oh. like think about the overall mentality of people experiencing homelessness. People don't look at them in a good way, and that's really fucked up because they're people that are in bad situations. They and actually use people, them to exactly. make themselves feel better a lot too. Exactly. But like, why do you think that way? And it's because of this underlying fear of hating the unknown and that if believing something is evil it makes you feel better about it same with the drug war 1963 saw the passage of the community mental health centers act which finally encouraged the deinstitutionalization of mental health care but that took some time Mm -hmm. you may also be surprised to know that child protection from the state did not exist until 1960 Before that, many private agencies like orphanages and adoption agencies provided child protection. Orphanages run by Christians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They can never be safe. It's like a fucking shit show of events. It's literally American Horror Story season two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In 1870, societies for the prevention of cruelty to children were developed. They worked towards protecting children from assault in the home. Notice how I'm saying just assault in the home. Neglect does not come into play here for a while. Because, like, at this time, too, the factories and shit, like, children didn't have those, like, workers' protection laws until way further than that. Just thinking that we had to put laws in place for this type of behavior makes me question what the fuck was going on. Mm -hmm. Like, why do people treat kids this way? Yeah. Naturally. Well, and, like, I'm kind of thinking, like, around this time frame, you said, like, 1870? 1870. Like, yeah, if we're thinking about it, we're coming from a place of, like, a lot of people were in poverty and they couldn't really feed their, their whole family. So there's a constant thing of, like, families dying because of oh. lack of resources. 
in this time frame. And then we're now fast forward into now, like now this is becoming a problem. It's like, there's no excuse. You have full access to be able to take care of your children because now you have the decision to have those children. And so like, we need to look at it also from that of like, you have the resources to be taking your children, why aren't you? Because now that's, now we have to look at it as neglect rather than just like, it's Outward not a abuse. Of the times anymore, man. And this is Stop like physical abuse, is what I'm hearing. Like assault. assault, assault. So that's literally like I hit my child outwardly. Mm-hmm. I hurt them physically. But keep in mind, at this time, it's still being handled by orphanages and adoption agencies that are private. The state has no involvement until 1960. Which, from what I've heard, those orphanage, like the people who run it, they're, they're just as bad, Horrible. if not worse. I mean, we see it coming out of uh, Canada right now. The yep. murdered indigenous children yes. from those situations. That's yes. what we're talking about. This is yeah. the time frame that we're discussing. And, like, if you look back also, the, like, asylums are a thing. All those, yeah, well, and all those, those <coughs> um, graves weren't just because, like, you know, natural deaths they were neglected horribly in these places or abused horribly and like um but no asylums at the time they were not just places that you put people you don't want to deal with quite frankly um like children were there and they were often there with adults and the thing is is like they would be neglected so heavily that like you'll see asylums full of graveyards in the background and like that's there for a reason they were neglected so horribly even in places where they were supposed to be taken away from their families to be safe. Right. Almost like CPS now. As the agency developed, they started to see and focus on other problems affecting children in their development, including neglect, domestic violence, including experiencing it or witnessing it in the home, which does have an impact on children. And the one with the largest effect on children, poverty. When the state stepped in in 1960, there was still a lot of work to do. 1960 is when the state stepped in? Dude, that's like not even fucking older than my mother. What the shit? It's worse and you're going to be very upset. I'm already upset. Mandatory reporting of child abuse and neglect was not required by law until 1974. Stop. Why? Wait, wait, wait. Say that again? Mandatory reporting of child abuse and neglect was not required by law until 1974. And this is saying people who are working with children to say, like, you see these kids, you have to be a mandatory reporter. This is where those things come in place. We are requiring you to say something when you see this because, like, it's so common. Until the 70s, childhood sexual abuse was a thing that happened but was almost never discussed or studied. Wow. And once the mandatory reporting laws passed, there were a lot more conversations to be had on the topic. I would like to point out that many believe the mandatory reporting law makes it difficult to eliminate bias and often results in many underrepresented populations losing their children to the foster care system, specifically black indigenous people of color. For which reasons are different, probably, right? You're getting your kids... Oh, yeah, of course, right? Oh, my gosh. if we look back... We look back at like how many of the um, sterilizations that have been happening in America over history. They've all been to people of color, and specifically Eugenics. indigenous women, black women, and women, Latin- women, immigrant women, specifically La- Latina women. It's been happening for it fucking happened with ICE last year. It's still ongoing, and the sterilization of people of color is not new and is not a surprise. 
given what's been going on. So please pay attention to that as well because this is still ongoing. It's just different little aspects that you want. If you're actually interested in the disproportionate way that the foster care system impacts BIPOC individuals and BIPOC children, I'm happy to link some resources in our show notes please, so you can read some things about that because that's not just something I'm pulling out of my ass. There have been research studies done on that that is like factual information. All of these factors led to a combination that is just ripe for a moral panic and a far-right conspiracy theory that has spanned decades. So let's talk about how satanic ritualistic abuse really got in the purview of American culture, okay? The popularity of SRA allegations began after the book Michelle Remembers was published in 1980. Either one of you know that book. And if you know too much, (coughs) shut up. Yeah, I was gonna say, it's one of those situations where I'm gonna shut up. (laughs) (laughs) This book, uh, written by now discredited Canadian psych- psychiatrist Lawrence Padder, Padzer, Padzer, <laughs> Pazder. I think it's Pazder. We have sucked, and we always will suck about names on this <laughs> fucking podcast. Pazder um, is what they're going with. Pazder, Pazder. <laughs> Where he discussed recovered memory therapy with his patient Michelle Smith. Oh, fuck (laughs) no, dude. I'm not ready. This book focuses on over 600 hours of hypnosis that Pazder, excuse me, uh, (laughs) practiced on Smith to recover memories of satanic ritualistic abuse from her childhood at the hands of her parents. 600 hours? 600 hours of hypnosis. Whoa. Yeah. You just, like, reset the brain. That's that too much. You set the brain at that mu- at that point. You're able How to many reset it, and then this person is like, I, I have no idea who I am. You tell me who I am. That's like daily, every day, right? That's how like many, how well, much yeah, that would say, be. How many days is that? So they hypnotized this person for fucking constantly. This this man. May, even though this has been proven to not be true, though, I know people who do still believe that that was happening to this. Well, I I know this person who was also formerly practicing um, psychiatry and counseling, a person who supposedly was also uh, abused in satanic rituals with her parents. And he did believe a lot of the things that were produced from this book, I'm assuming now. um, Widely discredited. Widely discredited, but people do internalize it. I think, even despite that. As I said, we're coming from a place that we want to believe victims first. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that this is not a real thing they're experiencing. The therapist is literally brainwashing this person to believe. Coaxing them. them. So they're like providing, implanting. implanting. Yeah. Oh. Which we'll talk about. We'll talk about. Starting in 1973, Michelle Smith had come to see Pazder to treat depression. Pazder claims... This is fucking terrifying. He claimed that during one of his sessions in 1976 with Smith, that Smith had mentioned she had something important to tell him, but she couldn't remember what it was. And then she began screaming and speaking in a different childlike voice. Over 14 months, Smith completed 600 hours of hypnosis, discussing the, quote, ritualistic abuse she faced from 1954 to 1955 from her parents. I have a very quick question. The person who's all this is being done to, did she verify that that is what happened in that, or did he change it to say whatever he wanted it to say? Because I will only believe that coming from the mouth of the person who 
this it happened. Too. We'll get there. Okay, we'll get there. I'll answer that for you. Um, pastor claims that this abuse happened under the Church of Satan for the purpose of ritual. Can you remind me again when the Church of Satan? Nineteen seventy. She's coming in nineteen eighty one. Yes, but she's saying the abuse is from 1954 to 19... So, the Church of Satanism, or Satan, Church of Satanism? Okay, so this is like assuming that maybe people have practiced these traditions and now have finally been able to establish a church, right? That's what, yeah. Okay, so that makes sense. Yeah, I was like, because this doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, it's going off the (laughs) assumption that... The Church of Satan has actually been, been practicing around. For years. Everyone, a lot of people, these types of people practice Satanism. Yes, and we'll talk about that too. The profile. Now they have an organization for it. Also, so Church of Satan is still alive and well. Alive and well. Their tenets are actually better than a lot of the tenets of other religions. They include yeah. not sexually assaulting people. Isn't that fucking crazy? Like, when you talk about the Church of Satan as it exists today, mm-hmm. it's more of an activist group than it is okay. a religious organization. Hell yeah, baby. What has changed re- too recently is very different than what it than was at one point. The abuse discussed in this book is nothing short of torture. However, the book was almost immediately discredited. And why, you may ask? In part to the timing thing that we just talked about, right? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense that Mm. this organization that didn't exist until a few years ago, that stuff, right? But also, there's a part in the book that details an 81-day satanic ritual that Smith says she was used in, and the author claims that Satan himself was summoned, and that Jesus, the (laughs) Archangel Michael, and the Virgin Mary all had to intervene. What is this, supernatural? What the fuck? And they all magically removed any scars that Michelle had on her body from this abuse. So, Michelle, she did experience abuse. We don't know. This is just so fucking wow. We don't know. Here's where it gets even more fucked up. These claims from this book put Padder... Pazder. Pazder, thank you. On the map as a, quote, satanic ritualistic abuse expert end quote. What the fuck? And he was consulted on many cases throughout the 80s because of it. Years later, Pazder would leave his wife only to marry client Michelle Smith. Whoa. And it wasn't until the end of the 80s that Pazder's work was widely known as fucking garbage. This work is believed to have had a hand in the influx of satanic ritualistic abuse throughout the 80s and 90s. And by what we mean by that, it's like police are categorizing certain cases under this fucking thing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and yes. And the thing is, when you're when you're under hypnosis, it's almost like a form of meditation, and you are more prone to information during those times because you're vulnerable. You've already been opened up by therapy, and you're vulnerable, and you're with somebody that you think you should be trusting. And then they start saying well, did you experience this? And then he's, the reason we say they're implanting false memories is because this is somebody you're supposed to trust and you think is helping you and they fuck you over. That's a fucking dangerous tool to be able to do on someone in that case. Is like you can do anything to them. In our line of work, we have a whole section on the ethics of, of being someone's therapist or doing this shit and you are really, you should never fucking have any sort of relationship with any of your clients at any given time later in your life. There's now like a law of seven years 
um, of like you're not supposed to meet with that person and you're not supposed to be friends with that person. But like most, I think most therapists in this shouldn't want any relationship with their clients ever, ever. again because no. you know shit about them that you should, should not, not know. know. That's like and a now sadist. He married her. He married. He left his wife and married her. She also left her husband. Sorry, six hundred plus hours of hypnosis. That's that's too dangerous. That's like I a sadist. Math. So six hundred hours if you're doing like twenty four hours, that's yeah. twenty five days. But say it was only like like eight, eight hours. hours yeah. Eight hours of hypnosis per day, that's seventy five days. That's what a the lot. fuck? That's torture. And how long are normal therapy sessions? Like one hour. hour. Back in the day you had all the fucking time. You were able to do whatever and the fuck you wanted. Yeah. was regarded as not an unethical thing to do back they would in the be, day. They would have to stay there. Leading into all of that, y'all did a, a great segue for me. Let's talk a little bit about recovered memory therapy. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me everything. Recovered memory therapy uses methods like hypnosis, specifically drug-induced hypnosis, through the use of sodium and mictol, which what is, is that? truth serum. Truth serum is sodium. And this is legit because I honestly have always thought that's not a thing. It's a it's thing. A thing. <laughs> what? It's real. So there's the fucking serum they could give me and I'll just spat out all the things. I've used it with a lot of like um, war. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. Prisoners. prisoners of prisoners, war. Prisoners of war from different, from like the opposite yeah. side. Yeah. In America. So they used, like I said, hypnosis, drug-induced hypnosis. The sodium and mictol is the largest thing. Um, guided imagery pr- practices <laughs> in order to recover clients, quote, forgotten memories. And this by they is like widespread therapists throughout the U.S. Enthusiasts of the discredited, thera- discredited therapy believe that memories can live deep down in your subconscious and affect your behaviors. And these can be recovered through the methods that I listed previously. Now, that theory is not completely wrong. That there are memories that live in your subconscious. Subconscious. That is true. Recovered memory therapy is not recognized as a valid evidence-based therapy technique. Therefore, should not be practiced by anyone who is licensed to practice therapy. Um, by the general public, these memories recovered through this process are known as false memories instead of repressed memories. Different from a repressed memory, which, quote, occurs when a trauma is too severe to be kept in the conscious memory and is removed by repression or disassociation or both, at some later time it can be recalled, often under innocuous circumstances, and appears and reappears in the subconscious memory, a trigger. Oh, my God. Like a trigger. A false memory happens, quote, when a vulnerable patient with a history of overcompliance and highly suggestible behavior is unwittingly coached by a respected authority figure to create, as if in memory, an experience that never actually happened, end quote. Those quotes are from a um, study done on the difference between repressed memory and false memory from the archives of the Psychiatric Nursing Journal that I will have linked in our show notes. There is so much power in knowing the difference between that, especially if you are an official of the law and you're working with victims in these kinds of situations and you're forcing them to say things that work for your agenda that happens all the time these tactics for digging up those quote-unquote recovered memories 
would get you hit with a malpractice suit. Like I told you this would <laughs> fuck you up, you guys. I had no idea. I had no idea. This is beautiful information. I need to know that like a fucking malpractice suit is like years <laughs> of all my college down the and fucking drain. So much money. Like so oh much money. God. Well, and it even leads to later on um, the development of what's known as false memory syndrome. Not a thing in the DSM because it's too controversial, which is interesting Are because that ha- it's happened with a lot of things like complex PTSD. What? Oh yeah, I have heard about that. That it was contended, which I don't understand why. They are considering adding it to this version of the DSM, which would be smart on their end if they want to seem trauma informed. That mm-hmm. would be a good idea. Mm-hmm. They probably <laughs> won't. Um, <laughs> and also, like the history of complex PTSD is really interesting, and I'm happy to talk about that on a different. Not in this scenario. It's interesting. We should talk outside of this. Um, <laughs> But in the 80s, child protection uh, began cracking down on these abuse allegations, like, hard. Remember how I mentioned in 1974 um, they made mandatory reporting laws? That was actually called the Child Abuse Prevention and Treatment Act, or CAPTA. Um, It was signed into law in 1974 at a national level. And this law essentially requires states to provide call centers and investigations to look into child abuse cases to work to prevent them. This is similar to the system that we currently use to report child abuse. Have either one of you ever had to make a mandatory report and kind of want to talk about that process of what that looks like? Because I think a lot of people, A, don't understand what that process looks like, and B, have a really um, convoluted concept of how that looks, and I would really like to provide some clarity on that. If neither one of you have that experience, I do, and I'm happy to speak about it, but I would rather let someone else. (laughs) So I would like you to talk about your experience, because I haven't had the experience. However, um, in my role, I have had to take that training, and literally, it's like, if you even remotely think something is wrong, you need to do it. However, you can get in big trouble. Yeah. (laughs) However, I would also like to say that when you make those reports, it is not always the case that they will do something about it, which is fucked up. So there are still call centers that you call? Yes. Uh So there's like a number you call specifically. Are there places you could visit, like facilities in the state? Interesting. No, it's only uh, It's only call. Well, because it's anonymous. You can't report. It's a tip line. Anonymously. And, And, okay, so I've heard two different versions of this when it's specifically when it's in a school setting and in Colorado just for the record we're in Colorado Col- so Colorado yeah, state yes, law applies all different. here yeah they are all different the number is different for each state yep. mm-hmm. um, you can they may or they may not notify the parents of who is making the report you can choose to stay anonymous, and despite that, they'll still possibly... Unless you are a mandatory reporter, oh in which case you have to disclose God. your name and where, where you, you work. work. Yes. And how wow. you know the family. Yeah. And you... So it is under like under small print, right? It, they give you, like, as soon as possible that you notice something you need to report, but there is yeah. a 24-hour... It, ha- it yeah, has to be within 24 hours. If that you've noticed that something? Well, yeah. that you've seen or that you know. Yeah. Because yeah. mm-hmm. if we go longer than that, there are legal repercussions for us. Mm-hmm. Like, we can get $25,000 fine. Yeah. So what it's if pretty it's substantial. Like a pretty regular, consistent 
pattern and the child like you have to have a reason to call them well, within no, 24 no, hours i mean even if it's like even if you just suspect okay even yeah. if you just suspect yep even if it or even even if it's just like hey you know what a welfare I've noticed check that, um, or something johnny or bob you know they haven't been in school it's like a three yeah. days yes two weeks no that well, might not out. be like but if parents are not, you know, communicating, hey, this is going on, you have to, yeah, that's that's a sign yeah. to call. The thing is, CPS determines what's credible enough to investigate. And sometimes those investigations aren't very deep, in my opinion. I agree with you. Why wouldn't so. they put some sort of, like, official at the schools individually? Here's the thing, though. Everything varies state to state when we're talking about child protection and even like licensing laws and all those kinds of things, they vary state to state. There's no federal mandate. And that's a lot of money to go into schools and uh, centers. That's a shit ton of money. Well, it's an underemployed field. They don't care. And underfunded. (laughs) And think about like in your public schools, (laughs) if you ever were forced to go to a counselor. So you make a report, right? It gets to so-and-so. They... It's really up to them. <laughs> it goes to a social worker. It, yeah, it goes to somebody. Yeah, it goes to someone who answers the phone at the uh-huh. child abuse hotline. Yep. That may be a social worker. That may just be someone who works for the city and county of blah, blah, blah. And uh-huh. they fill out a report, what? send it to somebody who's supposed to be a caseworker. So a case worker. each state we'll has see. their own child abuse center. Yeah. Yes. Hotline. And hotline. hotline. And again, they are dependent, at least in Colorado, on county. So when you mm-hmm. call, they ask you, like, what county does the child or family reside in? Mm-hmm. And then, then you, you tell go, them if yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sucks because if you don't know that information, they won't really do much. Nope. So, like, if you're a teacher, like, you're very well off. But if you're somebody else who doesn't really know anything else and you're just concerned, mm-hmm. you're fucked. Somebody else reports and then there's an investigation going on yep. and, and they notice, oh, this isn't you're the first fucked. mandated reporter that this child came across. Yeah. We're supposed to be a safety net, and somehow they still fall for You report it, and then, like, if they don't do anything about it, that's it. That's it. That's it. You just hope that you help Then who does it fall on after that? The caseworker who works for the city and county. And that's only if they decided to pick it up on the fact that they could investigate. Pick it up, and then they're like, hey, yes, it's a yes or a no. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And especially if they've had CPS involvement before, immediate Yes. Um, if there have been other mandatory reports, eh, sometimes yes, sometimes are you yes, serious? no. It depends. Yeah. It Why? depends like on how serious those reports are. Yeah, because they can't take everything as though mm-hmm. that's happening, right? Because it's like a life or death situation. There are false reports. There are some situations, like when I worked at the visitation center, there were multiple parents who were like, "I'm just going to do this out of fucking spite because I don't think you should have your kids." Yeah. CPS is a weapon amongst those who live in fucking poverty, and I really wish we would address that. That's insane. The system is flawed. I'm going to move us on from the mandatory reporting conversation, but it's one that I think needs to be had. And if you have more questions or anything like that, like, I'm down to talk about it. Maybe we'll talk about it in the Patreon uh, extra. Because it is weird. It's a weird thing. And if you don't, if you're not a mandatory reporter, I think some of this is very confusing and convoluted for folks. Um, but I am going to move us on because we've been talking about it for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Thank bad. you for, no, 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 no. Thank you for adding your um, insight, Naeem. I'm looking at the other one here. 
with this change, more people than ever were um, sharing their concerns for the children in their life with this mandatory reporting thing going on, right? In fact, in California, there was such a huge influx of alleged incest reports to investigators. Um, once a report was made, essentially the child was questioned. The techniques used by social workers questioning the children were really bad, asking leading questions and um, using coercive tactics to get information. I thought they're not even able to stand on like a witness stand. Why would they even ask them about the reports that are happening? I don't understand. So they, th that is standard practice. That's even part now, of it. You're questioned, like if you're a child who has had this reported or whatever, they do separate you from your family and then ask you questions about the things you're experiencing. It's like sensitive questions, safe. right? But it is safe for the good. person experiencing the abuse to be separated from their person. However, sometimes that can also lead to more abuse. Oh Just my saying. God, because it's dangerous. Like what is this child supposed to say? They have so much pressure. Well, and a lot of children um, feel this pressure to protect their family, right? Yeah. Um, because it puts them in a very awkward situation. Um, so the questions are like kid friendly. Yes, yes. It's typically like nowadays when a caseworker yeah. comes comes around and asks you questions like, "How's your relationship with your mom? You know, how do you feel about your mom? Or like, are you eating enough? Like questions to where children can actually grasp what they're being asked and can answer in a concise way that makes sense. Essentially, the tactics that were being used in this scenario are tactics that police in the '70s would not even use because they thought they were too coercive. So damn, these people were not doing the right thing, basically, no. to these kids. To such an extent where it just gets like worse in case numbers from here. So uh, bah, bah, bah. these changes in the California system resulted in even, even more charges for incest, even if they were not ethically gotten, to the point where fathers were just confessing to something that they didn't necessarily do because they were scared of the consequences that would come from the state. They were trying to get that plea bargain. Oh, my God. So that they would not serve life in prison. Wait, but why incest? Like, if they weren't really doing that, like, why was this happening? Is this a whole other witch hunt trial thing? <laughs> this influx like of incest Incestual. charges yeah. is not, or influx of incest reports, I should right. say. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is not necessarily so far off. Because when we think about the history of, A, trauma diagnoses, which is rooted in military experience, but also how it became something for people who have experienced sexual assault to be diagnosed with, like I mentioned off air a few minutes ago, that's rooted in second wave feminism. And a lot of the disclosure of childhood sexual abuse, especially from young girls, came out of that second wave feminist movement because this was stuff that was happening in the house that no one was talking about and no one cared about. I'm not here to say that every father who took a plea deal, plea deal is innocent. That's not true. Right. Statistically, that can't be true. Right. I'm also not here to say that every father who took a fucking plea deal in that scenario Wasn't. was was guilty. Right. Because I don't think that's true either. Yeah. Right. Wow. There's a lot of levels there. Holy shit. It's a lot of shit. It's like we have to look at these individuals as people and not just a number. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Um, at this point, many children began spouting satanic ritual abuse allegations. None more famous than the McMartin preschool trials. Are either one of you familiar with the McMartin preschool no, trials? No, it gives me chills. Though. A little bit. A little bit? 
1983, a mother of a student at McMartin Preschool alleged that a school official had sodomized her son. In response, the police sent a letter home to the student's families that read, quote, I'm reading the direct letter. Dear parent, this department is conducting a criminal investigation involving child molestation. Ray Bucky, excuse me, an employee of Virginia McMartin Free School was arrested September 7th, 1983 by this department. The following procedure is obviously an unpleasant one, but to protect the rights of your children as well as the rights of the accused, this inquiry is necessary for a complete investigation. Records indicate that your child has been or is currently a student at the preschool and we are asking your assistance in continuing this investigation. Please question your child to see if he or she has been a witness to any crime or if he or she has been a victim. Our investigation include or indicates that possible criminal acts include trigger warning for sexual assault words here, oral sex, fondling of genitals, buttocks or chest area, and sodomy, possibly committed under the pretense of, quote, taking the child's temperature. Also, photos may have been taken of children without their clothing. Any information from your child regarding having ever observed Ray Bucky to leave a classroom with a child during any nap period, or if they've ever observed Ray Bucky tie up a child is important. What? Please complete the enclosed information form and return it to this department in its enclosed stamp return envelope as soon as possible. <laughs> we will contact you if circumstances dictates the same. We ask that you keep this investigation strictly confidential because the nature of these charges is highly emotional and could affect, have an effect on those in our community. Please do not discuss this investigation with anyone outside your immediate family. Do not contact or discuss the investigation of Raymond Buckley or any member of the accused defendant's family or employees connected with the McMartin Preschool. There is no evidence to indicate that the management of Virginia McMartin's preschool had any knowledge of this situation and no detrimental information concerning the operation of this school has been discovered during this investigation. Also, no other employee in the school is under investigation for any criminal act. They sent this letter to every parent of every child at the McMartin preschool. I'd like to say, first of all, at least they sent out something. I'll give them that. At least they, they notified that your child has been exposed to this person. Um, but for me, it almost reads like when we get those emails from websites being like, your information's been exposed. It gives me that fucking vibe of like, hey, it's been exposed. We can't do anything about it now. The least you could fucking do is pay do a do not fucking ask your children these questions. Take them to somebody who is licensed to open these wounds and close them back up. Pay for your child to be taken care of. Um, like the school could at least do that. Like if you're if you even accidentally expose a child to this, you could at least pay for these parents to take them somewhere so they can get a actual fucking resources. B we can get actual fucking information. Don't do this. Is that even allowed for it parents to ask like those questions? I need to cover my ass real, real fucking quick yeah. right now. Yeah. I need to do it ASAP. A parent like can ask those questions, up. but they shouldn't. All of this just sounds legal to, like, you know, protect your ass on the, on the, under court because they know, right? They knew they were going to get taken to court. Yep. 
So what does that do? So if the parent is like like, asking, no other employee is also getting in bed, like you know, like Mm -hmm. there's all these things that like, oh yeah, we did not know this. I I think I would ask every other employee there just to cover my bases. That's really strange. It's like do my job for me, and don't do it well on purpose, because your kid is not going to tell you most of the time. It's interesting that y'all take that opinion because you know how to ask railroaded into child abuse charges that he did not commit based on these letters, based on this satanic panic. This man spent five plus years in prison for something he did not do. Wait, Wait. he said that he was... We'll get there. I'm sorry. The letter said that he was already arrested because of these charges. I thought it was allegations. Yeah, are these allegations? Yeah. So where did those come from if now that they're now they're saying this because it seems like this would be the letter that railroaded him into it they're using a mother of a student made allegations against a a teacher Uh at this school and this was the letter that the police sent out to every parent at the school as a response to those allegations oh i see so if someone is like yes then even if the child may be confused or whatever this man is responsible Instead, it should be like they are individually making these reports, basically. Right. Just the making of allegations were evidence in this case, which I'm not saying they should not be. Right. But there's no credible evidence that these actions actually took place. Naturally, and as it should, this sparked a massive investigation within the school. But here's where it gets tricky. Interviewer and social worker... Key McFarlane was using questionable tactics to interview the students of this preschool. He's actually the person who came up with the idea of, here's a doll, show me where they touched you. No fucking way. Um, The social worker would spend hours interviewing children, punishing them if they denied the abuse and rewarding them if they described abuse that had happened. Of course, this is a completely unethical way to complete this type of interview. This resulted in many staff members, not just Ray Buckley, being accused of satanic ritualistic abuse and torture with absolutely no evidence. The case captivated the media, resulting in hundreds of schools around the country experiencing a similar situation. What is going on? This literally spanned 10 years of the U.S. just fucking media culture, this satanic ritualistic piece with literally no evidence to back it other than these pseudoscience books. But because Americans la- we'll get there. Yeah. Americans lack the critical thinking to dismantle the media that they're seeing. Yeah. Yes. And that's it's not fucking kids. number one rule problem with exactly. this fucking country. And it's not kids lying. Like to be clear, this is not kids no, lying. They're coerced. This is people forcing them to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, this resulted in a massive focus on childhood sexual abuse research, particularly ritualistic abuse, which, again, there's still no documented evidence of. There's no evidence that these severe satanic ritualistic abuse situations have happened. You know what there is evidence of? Childhood sexual abuse that is not ritualistic. In 1983, the budget for the National Center for Child Abuse and Neglect had a $1.8 million budget but by 1985, through the McMartin trials, the budget had increased to $15 million. I was going to say, I wish we had this sort of budget now. It's hard because I honestly think that it's a complex of distancing. Like, people do this so that they could, like, reaffirm themselves, <clears throat> be safer from abuse. 
Mm-hmm. You're like, that doesn't happen to my child. But the distancing causes an issue. It allows a separation of types of people, reasons why that happens to them, mm-hmm. and yeah. how you can avoid it. Why right. do you think they wanted it to be ritualistic so badly? It's easier to yeah. blame it exactly what you were just saying. It's easier to blame the three people next door than it is to admit that fucking Uncle Joe is a goddamn pedophile. Yes. Yeah. And he's a weirdo. Yes. And, and we shouldn't allow him around yes. our Yes. Yeah. You're distancing and enabling an abuser, and this person fucking having a ritualistic, satanic circle is safer than saying, no, it's happening at home, or no, it's happened next door. It sucks to say that, like, this is, that they didn't start all this realizing it was actually happening. They did this out of fear, or out of some supposed thing that's going on. Like, you didn't even start this because it was actually happening. Where is the law? No wonder it took fucking 10 years. I couldn't imagine. You're literally entertaining bullshit. Mm-hmm. For 10 years. <laughs> the trial went on for years, and there was even a second trial due to the mistrial with jury disagreements on whether or not that man, Ray Buckley, was guilty. Despite the disgust and depra- depravity detailed in the situation, no one was ever actually able to prove the satanic ritualistic abuse allegations. The mother who had initially made the allegations against that person died of alcoholism related complications in 1986 years before the trial ended and it was also mentioned that she suffered from paranoid schizophrenia i am not here to say that people who are mentally ill should be disbelieved or discredited that is not the point of sharing that information as adults some students who had made claims of abuse even mentioned that they lied stating quote never did anyone do anything to me and i never saw them doing anything I said a lot of things that didn't happen, and I lied. Anytime I would give them an answer that they didn't like, they would ask me again and encourage me to give them the answer they were looking for. I felt uncomfortable and a little ashamed that I was being dishonest. But at the same time, being the type of person I was, whatever my parents wanted me to do, I would do. End quote. Because that's what children, that's all children want to do. So they want to, they want approval. <coughs> they want approval, and they want their parents to be proud of them. By the late 1980s, the allegations from Michelle Remembers and the McMartin trials were deeply entrenched in the U.S. psyche. And satanic panic was all the rage and the answer for all evil in our world, from child abuse to murder. Christian groups began blaming a lot more than just individuals. Some groups claiming things like D&D, metal music, child care centers, and education and educators were responsible for the, quote, indoctrination, end quote, of children and others into Satanism. D&D? Oh, yeah. Are you fucking stupid? I remember. Do we want to go back to Columbine on Manson? I see. Uh, um, of course, this is probably one of the dumbest fucking things I've ever heard in my goddamn life. <laughs> in my journalistic opinion, that's stupid as shit. Um... However, it was shared as a set of signs to look out for among the U.S., even in police forces. Uh, so if you, have, if you have a, what? Suspected, a suspect who's into dark shit. A nerd. A goth nerd. Right. They're right. They're like the gentlest person you could find, yeah. make them a murderer. <laughs> oh, my God. Hold, hold your anger. Sense. Hold your anger. I'm Not only were there real-life consequences for this, but there was a myriad of conspiracy theories based on this time frame. 
One came from a psychologist in the 90s who believed that this was a, quote, worldwide organization completing satanic ritualistic abuse that could be, quote, activated by code words, very MK Ultra style. I was going to say Illuminati. Oh my God. This psychologist this also stupid. claimed that the victims were trained, trained as sex workers, drug addicts, drug dealers, and assassins. Oh my God. He also claimed that the whole thing and trigger for anti-Semitism, again, was, oh quote, God. created by a Jewish doctor in Nazi Germany who now That's worked awesome. for the CIA, end quote. Geraldo, whatever. Um... He was very popular back in the day. He did a whole special on cults and cult activity, and he literally apologized for it at the end of the 80s because he was like, wow, I fed you a bunch of misinformation, and this was completely incorrect, and I'm sorry. Thank God. And people aren't going to look at that, and they're just like, no, it's, it's real. Exactly. The first case that I think of when we're discussing this satanic panic that comes up in the early 90s is the West Memphis Three. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the West Memphis Three, but we should talk about it at some point. Three young boys were murdered in Arkansas, and three boys took the fall for it simply because they liked goth shit and witch shit and all of this dark shit, right? And it turns out they didn't do it. And they spent 20-plus years in prison oh my God. for it. If you have not watched, what is it called? No, Midnight Gospel. Midnight Gospel. I think it's the third episode. They interview the main man who was accused of murdering and disfiguring children's bodies in the West Memphis Three case. And he has a lot of very interesting things to say about his experiences. And I highly encourage you to go check it out. Because he literally was treated like garbage just because he liked dark shit. And that was it. That was the basis for their... They literally put in evidence, like, his records, his books, shit that should have no fucking bearing on what happened to these goddamn kids. It's almost like everyone is scapegoating. That's the fucking thing that we all love to do, scapegoat. You put this on someone else, and then guess what? You protect the person who is responsible for the actions. You protect them. They're constantly protected. Another case I think of when we discuss this satanic ritualistic abuse and the in-depth nature of the allegations is the Franklin cover-up. But I thought it was really important to talk about this piece and how pervasive it was. Before you go listen to the Franklin cover-up and you make an opinion based off the information provided by one author in one book. By 1987, the media coverage on satanic ritualistic abuse had began to turn negative, and many of these ideas were beginning to be debunked. By 1995, it was all but over. Unfortunately, accusations like that remain to this day. Something that you are all familiar with as QAnon follows these very same conspiracy theory lines. They just shift the blame to Hollywood elites, liberal politicians, um, people in power that are not on their side, right? They take this shift um, that is not accurate and pretty much blame anyone who disagrees with them of sexual abuse. Pizzagate is another theory similar to this, which is something that QAnon theorists believe, right? That there's, there's a sex trafficking ring under a a pizza parlor in Washington that doesn't even have a fucking basement. 
That shit's not true. It's not real. And, like, frankly, at the end of the day, it's really easy to point out 10,000 other people making the mistake that you don't like to see Mm. than Mm. it is to look at the people around you and call out the mistake that you don't like to fucking see. So... To end, I want to say that I do not disbelieve that some of these people lived through abuse. I just don't believe that they lived through satanic ritualistic abuse because it's not real. Satanic ritualistic abuse has no clear evidence point on whether or not it's real. And what we should be focused on is what is real. True stories we hear from childhood sexual uh, sexual abuse and trafficking of those close to us. Remember the Church of Hosanna? Even this concept went into that abuser's head, yes. and he literally used it as fuel to his actions to it's give him an excuse. Yeah, it's an excuse. Yeah, to leave you with some information: um, childhood sexual assault impacts many of our lives. Twenty percent of young girls and between five and ten percent of young boys are a victim of childhood sexual abuse, and those are just the reported numbers. According to Love One Forty Six, an organization working to stop child trafficking. Um, 25% of trafficking victims, whether they be labor or sex trafficking victims, are children. And 93% of those who have been sexually assaulted um, as children know their abuser at the time. The impacts can last a lifetime. According to Rain, the effects of childhood sexual abuse can be long-lasting and affect a victim's mental health. Victims are more likely than non-victims to experience the following mental health challenges. They are four times more likely to develop symptoms of drug abuse. They are four times more likely to develop PTSD as an adult. And three times more likely to experience a major depressive episode as an adult. So I leave you with this. If you care about these issues, please care about the ones that are real and in our face. We don't need to make up horror stories about the abuses happening to children. There's already horror stories out there. I ask that as we move through the Franklin cover-up, you keep everything that we discussed here in mind. And I would also ask that if you're in a family where these things are commonplace and you're in a safe space to call that out, that you do it. Because that's where that prevention, that bystander intervention really fucking matters. And I'll get off my soapbox. (laughs) Yeah, stay on it. We like it. Overall, what we see constantly here, and especially in these types of podcasts, the focus is not on the victim. I also ask that you listen to the research from the Franklin cover-up with a grain of salt. They all came from one man, John DeCamp, right? And that's not to say that he is uncredible or any of these things, right? All I'm saying is there's no actual evidence for the satanic ritualistic abuse that he alleges in his book, but there is evidence for the sexual abuse that he alleges in this book. And at the end of the day, if half these people who quote-unquote claim to care about this as much as they do would listen to organizations that are experts in their field, would listen to survivors of childhood sexual abuse and sex trafficking, they would reach a different fucking conclusion. The reason it's so easy to lean on that is responsibility. Once it's like, oh, they were just deranged, right? They were believing in all this shit. It's not your responsibility anymore. It always was. It can be anyone. It It can be women. It can be men. It can be people who identify (laughs) as fucking nothing at all. Come back next week. We'll actually talk about the Franklin cover-up. Get it all finished up. And then we'll wrap it up in a neat little bow and we'll move the fuck on about something else. But this has like literally been clouding my consciousness. I want to understand why these people believe this thing that is not fucking real. 
There's no logical way to explain it. Makes so it easier for them to cope. To the Keeps them safe. Yes, and I hope I did it to the best extent yeah. possible. So check out our Instagram. Follow us there. We have a lot of posts and content. You'll be seeing this episode coming up. And if you want to see any of these episodes from the series that we will be doing, please go to namnap.com. We will have all the blog posts, resources, everything linked. Um, and we want to be able to help you guys access this as easily as, as possible. We have some redesigning coming up, so please follow us, Not a Boogeyman. Yes. On Instagram. And go check out our new website that will be redesigned within a couple weeks of this going up at least. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Go check it out. And if you have any cases you want to suggest to us, hit that Gmail, not a monster, not a boogeyman, at gmail.com, and we will get to them eventually. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of stuff coming for you, and I hope you stick around to see it. Bye. Bye. <laughs>